Podcast. Thanks for joining us on today's special edition podcast, Coffee Makes Farming Possible from Hawaii. I had an awesome time touring Kona Joe's Coffee and learning so much about what goes into coffee production and how universal the love and passion for agriculture truly is. So whether you have to listen to this one in chunks or you're on a long drive, I really encourage you to listen to the whole thing. Uh, definitely the most incredible experience that I've had on this trip and one of the most memorable things in my life. Give it a listen. I hope you enjoy and look forward to hearing back from you. Welcome back, everyone, to the Ag View Pitch. I'm Shay Folk, and joining me today at Kona Joe's Coffee on the Big Island of Hawaii is special guest Nikki and Rod. And first of all, I just want to say thank you for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate you both taking the time to do this. So. I was wondering if uh, maybe one at a time you could kind of tell the listeners a little bit about what you do here and uh, your background and how long you have both been working with the company. Okay, so I am uh, originally from Brazil. So I studied agriculture engineering in Brazil, focused in coffee production. And uh, I basically came here because I was working with uh, the Ohio State University in Ohio. So we used to recruit interns from all over the world to come and work here in, in the U.S. for internship for 12 months, 18 months. And one of the places that we used to place interns was Kona Joe. So that's how I got in touch with the owners and I met the owners. So I was there until 2017. When I was moving back to Brazil, we kind of had a conversation and then they needed somebody to manage the farm for them. And here I am since. February last year and so I basically manage the the farm and get all the pruning done all the fertilization program done the processing of the coffee dealing with the, the pickers or the farm contractors that we have uh, getting the coffee up here to the dry mill and mining the coffee on the size grader density grader and helping like with like pretty much everything that we need to do because like everybody does everything like I was mentioning. So yeah. In agriculture you have to have a little bit of flexibility, huh? Kinda yeah. <laughs> so of course a hundred percent. It's good to be involved in a little bit of everything, just be dangerous enough yep. to mm-hmm. to know a little bit of the jobs. Yeah. Yeah, so that's great. And you did you were uh, coffee production for a little bit in Brazil. Yes. But not uh, in a full grown like uh, coffee trees or crops. Uh, my uncle grows uh, coffee seedlings in okay. Brazil, so I worked for a while with him. And so, university and my uncle growing seedlings. Great, and we'll come back to that in a little bit, looking at you know that side and how it ties into your production here today. Yep. So, how about how about you, Nikki? Uh, so I've actually been in coffee for 17 years now. Um, and how I got into coffee is actually started managing a different coffee company in a different district here on the big island from seed to cup so i've been a part of germination propagation planting picking processing uh one of the main things that i am proud of is actually becoming a roast master in that aspect of it uh i've been with the company now for two years um this is my second go round with them i actually worked with them about seven years ago uh, and then I left due to some health issues and when I got into contact with them again they were like we need a GM and so I said okay here I come and I've been here ever since 
Uh, my job here is to double check quality controls, making sure that what Rod is doing is proper, um, which he does an awesome job, uh, as well as collaborating with him on when he's fertilizing, when he's pruning, uh, whenever we bring in the pickers, uh, as well as maintaining obviously our dry mill and into our roastery and as well as tours, retail, barista, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of everything. Right. Um, and I think what helps me a lot is having that background in the agriculture and the hands-on experience because I'm able to, if he has questions, I'm able to get him in touch with the right people or I may have the answers. And so uh, we work very well. He's like my right-hand man out here. Great. I yeah. think we picked the right pair then here to uh, talk to today. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about, um, you know, how that fertility does tie into mm -hmm. um, the roasting and the, the final product and the taste there. So um, I, I was wondering if you guys could just give us a little bit of a background on, you know, Kona Joe's kind of the, the who, what, when, where, why uh, that Kona Joe's is. <laughs> Rod's saying Nikki's going to take a lead <laughs> on this. So, um, you know, so. If you, just, a, just a brief background. Okay, so there's actually a love story behind that. Oh, okay. So, Deepa, which is Dr. Joel's wife, uh, used to be a greeter on one of the um, cruise ships out here. So, Dr. Joel is an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, he got offered a position on top of the same cruise ship. When he entered onto the cruise ship, he actually met Deepa, fell in love with her. Their first date was actually here in Kona. And because she was from the islands, their dates were among all the different Kona coffees here along the region. Um, when he ended up, by the end of the day, he ended up not only falling in love with his wife, but as well as Kona coffee. So it became a dream of his. Um, and that was 27 years ago. Wow. Um, from that point, what had happened was he comes from the vineyards. And so he knew a lot about grapes and growing them on trellises and how it boosts the sugar content and makes the cherries, I mean, the grapes bigger. Well, he decided what's gonna happen if we decide to stretch the trees along the trellises. And what we found is it actually produces 40% more cherries on our trees. It actually boosts a higher amount of sugar content into the fruit. Um, the more sugary you get in a coffee cherry, the less acidic your coffee becomes and a lot more sweeter yeah. and a lot more smoother. So as soon as he found out what the results were, he actually patented the idea of trellising. So we are the only ones in the world right now that do this method. Wow. And this was 1995, am I remembering correctly? In the That's when we actually yeah. came out, yes. Okay, and so did this, the farm that we're at here sits on 18 acres uh, in the Kona district. Mm -hmm. uh, we're at about 1,400 feet above sea level. And did this farm actually exist prior to that or was it this all was from scratch? Land. Okay, mm -hmm. interesting. And how did that come about as far as acquiring the land and it was... That, I don't know the history of it, but I know it literally took them about four to five years. Uh, a lot has to do with their looking at somewhat on a mountain top where there was a slope right. um, that way it would help us with the trellis system as well as the um, pollination of the flowers okay and the sun um, exposure and the sun exposure as well great so it took them the while to actually find this spot i don't know exactly what made them decide on this spot but i'm glad they did yeah absolutely and so you mentioned you know the kona region and, and kona coffee and i most of the listeners here 
drink coffee daily and have heard of Kona Coffee, but what makes Kona Coffee um, special? What makes Kona Coffee special is, first of all, Kona Coffee can only be grown in the district of Kona on the Hawaii Island, also known as the Big Island. Um, within this district, there's only a 20-mile run that Kona Coffee can be grown. Uh, on that 20 miles, obviously there's 325 different farms here, a lot of more small mom and pops, maybe about one to five acres. But what makes Kona Coffee, I think, um, one of the best in the world is not only the soils and the micronutrients that are in those soils, but as well as right being at this elevation, you get the morning sun exposure, the afternoon shade coverage, and in the evenings right along this district, it'll rain. So your trees get everything it needs in a 24 hour period, um, which actually helps better your coffee. So the five micronutrients that are actually in the ground is magnesium, copper, sulfate, boron, and silica. So we grow in what is called blue rock or straight lava rock very hard rock but as it breaks down as it breaks down below it actually continues to fertilize our trees and so that's what we have up against everything else in the world kind of a perfect growing environment there to bring it all together yeah, and we don't need to fertilize as much too because everything is in there already it's just a matter of like getting it on the right time and knowing like what like you're doing too so you mentioned the, the micronutrients, and I think you can maybe both speak to this a little bit. Um, what are you applying for your main macros? Uh, you know, NPK, is there any addition for that? And also, uh, what is the pH of your soils here? You know, how do the acidities level, acidity mm, levels run? That question. That's like, uh, I can remember right now, like the pH, because it was like a long time that I, uh, I did it. But uh, normally we do nitrogen in the beginning of the year and if we see like any yellowing on the trees or like if they're lacking like normally that's uh, potassium then we throw potassium and then now like this year we just changed the fertilizer program too okay so we're losing like we're using more copper levels and magnesium if i'm not mistaken like uh right after flowering and right after you see like the your cherries like getting to, the berries turning to a cherry okay right which happens like late June, okay, like early July. Yep. And for the flowering, like January, February, March, even in March. So is this a broadcast fertilizer application, or is it run through the irrigation lines? No. Like in the past, they used to do it like through the irrigation lines because we have fertile irrigation. But now it's just like a broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we just like spread, like by we calculate how much the tree would need right which is normally like 80 grams yep like per tree so we just hand do it and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to the trellising but you mentioned you know 30 to 40 percent better production through the trellis system is that at the same plant density or are you actually changing plant densities per acre or uh, per size area as a result of the higher production it, it is the same it's just like it's difficult because our blocks are not um, the same size of blocks, right? right? But they're pretty much, because it's a small area, so you don't see too much of a difference just because you have more trees or less trees, like okay. less dense or... Right. Because they're pretty much like divided or spaced out. Spaced. Like the same. And what is that spacing it between... 10 feet, 10 feet and... Not 10 feet, 10 feet. 
12. 12 feet by 7. 12 by 12 7? by 7. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, and he's normally 37 rows and 43, 43 trees. Okay. Each block. Interesting. That's per block. Per block. Yeah. Very interesting. So with the region that we're in too, obviously uh, through our travels here, we've seen that there's a lot of other crops grown. What else is primarily grown in the Kona district? And I know there's a lot of crops, but. Actually, it's a lot of tropical fruit. Okay. Um, so on this region, you're going to see mango. You're going to see lychee. You're going to see bananas. You're going to see avocados. Papayas. Um, papayas. Um, anything that can handle, like I say, a really rocky terrain. Um, I know they are coming up with more magnet farms here. Um, they're not too sure how they're going to do because with magnet you want a slightly lower elevation. Um, okay. But they're experimenting with it. So it keeps on expanding. But right now most of it is more tropical fruit wise. Okay. And how has... Uh, coffee changed over time as far as uh, the percentage or you know has it grown in this region or is it staying pretty steady? I think uh, about four years ago to me anyway Kona coffee tapped out what I mean by that is there's no more space okay um, like I say there's a 20 mile that that's all you got um, and a lot of the old families that did coffee they don't want to give up their coffee land it becomes a legacy that right. carries on um, so for expansion wise I think about five years ago we kind of hit our limit already um, what you'll notice now though is the coffee is now expanding island-wide versus just Kona. okay um, so now you have uh, Ka'u coffee coming up that we call that Kona's little sister um, they grow a little slightly higher in elevation and the grounds are different. So the flavor of the coffee is different. Right. Um, then you have Hilo actually doing coffee as well now. Um, actually, Hilo is the first place that coffee has ever grown on the island, believe it or not. Really? But these Tipica Arabica trees don't do very well, low elevation, a lot of rainfall. So they had to switch the type of coffee they grew. Okay. Um, now that they've done that, they're producing award-winning coffee as well. And then oh. you also have Hamakua coming up. So it, they're noticing, just like anything else, depending on the variety, can move it around the island for it to grow. That's the one thing about this big island, it can grow anything. Mm -hmm. just have to be in the right spot and know what you're doing. And it gives a unique product based off of those different regions, yes. your management and how that affects. So, and, and you mentioned earlier uh, about 325 different farms kind of in this 20 mile area. Have you seen any consolidation or you said, you know, they want to maintain that as a legacy. So, I mean, has it been staying pretty steady in that aspect? I've been staying pretty steady. I think five years ago, the last one that, well, they started doing it was Kona Hills. Um, you know, we've seen companies that completely have shut down, um, not to where they sold the company, but they just basically not doing it no more. Um, and this is something Rod can go into a little bit later, but it's because of a beetle that actually started attacking the farms that no one could really control. Mm -hmm. And it was damaging so much of their crop to where a 60% damaged and there's really no recovering from that. So the only way you can really come back from that is cut down your whole farm and redo it again. And a lot of the people didn't want to go ahead and do that. So they basically just cut everything down and built the house. Like, 
Right. Yeah. So, and that's a great segue. That was the next question I was going to ask is moving into insect disease and fungal pressures of the region. So Rod, if you want to meet, you know, talk a little bit about the insect pressure that Nikki's referring to and then move into the, some of the others. Sorry. And the, the main one is the, the CBB, which is the coffee borer bug. Okay. And he has a tricky way on how you approach the problem because the bug goes dormant for a period the year so between like December February like you don't see it but it's not it doesn't mean that it's not there it's there and it's just like sleeping right? right so if you don't like when you see your berries like after like the flowering if you see the berries coming and that's the first time you want to hit with the, like the insecticide okay because that's the perfect like timing for the the bugs because their bugs are coming back right so if they come back you know don't spray then you have like a problem like in the end of the season because you have to control the bug instead of just preventing it because the bug you're gonna have eventually mm -hmm. so every coffee farm that you go like now basically you're gonna find CBB and this is something like in Brazil you we have CBB like for 15 years 20 years so there was like people were more like used on dealing with the bug but since here like Hawaii started like seven years ago five years ago eight years ago so it was kind of new stuff still and the the process like Nikki like can can say that too the process on getting like the the chemicals or the products that you could spray on the on the island because it's an island and you want to protect everything that's in here so uh, right we don't want to damage like any other crop or the, the environment by adding any other chemical so we use Bobrea uh, okay which is a fungus yep. right it's the same fungus that basically grows on rice so if you put rice on a Ziploc bag and let it sit there for 15 days, it grows. And you can rinse alcohol, the rough idea, alcohol, brown sugar, mix it up, 45 days, and you have your your insecticide. Really? There, or your fungus. Okay. There. So that's the yeah, rough idea. The rough right? idea, yeah. right. So we that's the main thing that we have to deal with here. We, like you see some black, Moth. I don't know the name in English. Sorry. No, that's okay. And the the fungus, the black on the leaf, the blackish uh, kind of. Oh, the black mold. Black mold. Black like you mold. see the black mold, but if your trees are too dense, right? Right. So if you have too many verticals on the trees, or if like they are so tight together, then you see that happening, and that brings uh, other stuff too. Brings aphids and brings ants and brings the tick borer. Oh, twig borer. Twig borer. Okay. Right. So, is if you don't deal properly with one, it's gonna bring the other one. But our main one now is the CBB. Okay. And the other ones we kind of just go from seeing like in little spots. Right. Yeah. yeah. And if, so, with with that industry response, you mentioned that uh, some farms either weren't prepared for it or couldn't deal with it. Was it a slow adaptation by the industry here you know you said brazil has mm -hmm. dealt with it for 15 20 years now was it a slow adaptation or was it, it was access the cost the cost okay so that that particular fungus that we need to spray it runs about 250 to 275 dollars a gallon and that gallon does what i think it's a block like an yeah. acre an acre. acre and a half yeah. so if you got 18 acres you're looking at you know yeah. quite a bit of money um for you know what i really like about here and having me and um rod team up we're able to get 
the owners to understand that we need to invest in our in order to protect the quality right um, and that's why you'll notice there's such a big jump from seven years ago till now for really good high quality Kona coffee and that's because of all the added expense Right. It has to go into actually maintaining and, it. And not necessarily like just expense on purchases, like yeah. or purchasing chemical, because like it's timing. Yeah. If you do the pruning right, or if you focus like on getting the trees clean, or your field clean, or stripping the trees, and then applying the like the insecticide on the right time, you're investing like mm-hmm. in in time, yep. which is labor labor intensive and cost you right but not purchasing yes too right. much chemical too so it's a kind of balance and we refer to that as the four r's the right product the right place right time at the right rate yeah. mm-hmm. and i mean that goes for your your nutrients your um you know your fungicides your insecticides everything to protect and it's no different in this industry is what i hear you saying it, even more crucial probably here than with the corn and soy production and uh, you know, so for a lot of the producers listening back home, they had issues with planting this year, uh, late season, getting the crops into the ground. May, June, a lot of the corn and soybeans went in, and when it got to you know end of July and into August with tasseling and pollinations, okay, do we spray fungicide to protect this crop? Well, it's a hard decision to make when you have to, you know, pay the bills, pay the bills and yeah. you know you're forking over that money. Yep. Um, but what's out there to protect for your top end yield and especially with coffee I can see how that's you know really important for the region so you hit on some you know fungus and uh, insect disease not much competition as far as other uh, plants in your in your blocks or your acreages so we deal with a lot of weed pressure at home but horsetail yes yeah. horsetail <laughs> okay number one yeah uh, horsetail and what is called, we call it here in Hawaii, guinea grass. It's also known as, um, what do you guys call it? Yeah, in Brazil we call colonial. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so basically it's just cane grass. Right. Um, grass, yeah. yeah, and what will happen is the root structure is so strong that if you let it get too high, you can't just go and mow it down, or you can't just, like, um, just sprayed and hopefully it dies you literally have to go with a sickle Uh. and cut down that bunches and then dig out the roots so it doesn't come back because if you don't do that Mm -hmm. it'll be back in three weeks (laughs) Uh and like especially here like it rains a lot right like almost like every single day besides our dry season then it doesn't rain like for two weeks and then it rains again but in the rainy season it's just like rains every day like for three or four hours and the, the king grass is just grows like two or three inches a day wow so we kind of try to balance like on using herbicide like we try to keep on track like on six weeks uh herbicide six weeks and then we weed whack everything six weeks herbicide so we never use too much herbicide because it like can damage the the tree the root structure of the trees too but it's it just depends on the on the environment on how the weather looks like so have you seen any herbicide resistance uh, in the horsetail or in the in the cane grass? Here, no. Okay. Not yet. Herbicide resistance. Herbicide resistance. Uh, you have to know um, what works best. Okay. There are, I mean, a lot of them will kill it. Some will actually take longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, there's certain things that can kill it in like two days. 
Okay. Um, so it's just about knowing your products. Uh, we're actually looking into getting um, one that will kill the grass but will not damage the trees. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a new thing that's coming out that we're experimenting with. Um, and I think that's going to help out a lot because just like spraying anything, you don't want it to touch your trees. Right. Um, you know, so we're trying to go back and forth with it and, and see what's going to work best. And what products are you currently spraying and what are you looking at, just out of curiosity? So we're using like basically Roundup yep. and Roundup Max yep. and 2,4-D. Okay. Right, if we want like to get like really fast. Yes. Because 2,4-D just like kills <laughs> everything like in two-day range. Right. right. And that's it. The other one is... We always forget the name. That's Sorry. all right. Yeah. <laughs> you always discuss about like using it, but we always forget the name. But it basically you can. It starts with an F. Fusilate. I know. Yeah, Fusilate. there you go. See? Gotcha. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and listeners back home will be familiar with yeah. that. Yeah, so we so. just can spray the trees like Nikki was mentioning to me because I particularly didn't know yes. about this one. So you can spray everything, it won't damage the coffee trees. It's just like that. Right. So what's the ideal um, understory look like for the coffee trees then? I know you do some mulching, correct? But mm -hmm. is there an ideal ground cover or is it better to just have it there for production? Uh, for me personally, my personal experience is you have your rows. Anything that is your stock is here, you want a clear, I'll say about eight inches on each side mm -hmm. with nothing okay. and then you have your grass row okay uh, like a, a foot yeah right? yeah mine's like a little side. different i'm sorry yeah. so eight inches to a foot yeah. on yeah because yeah. what that does is when you're throwing fertilizer you're actually throwing it to the nutrients of the tree because if i allow the grass to just take over my trees and i'm throwing fertilizer i'm feeding the grass i'm not feeding my trees right so you need to look at is making sure that your tree is getting the most nutrients it can. Right. So clearing that pathway, and it also helps with um, the ants, the ant control. It helps with all the other insects that are in the field, because when you have that clear way, you can see everything that's happening. If I okay. just let grass grow all over the place, I'm not going to know what's happening. And also the, the way that the roots of the, the coffee trees, yeah. right? So we have like the people type of root yep but you have all these ramifications the top part that goes like this so you want to like when you're fertilizing you want to fertilize on top of these ones so that's the, the two feet right. right so within that two feet you want all your feeder roots to yeah. be yeah. picking up those nutrients yeah, because if you have like grass growing there like it's taking all the nutrients that's supposed to go to that root right right yeah. And that's not something that we see in our industry as much. Uh, there are some producers out there that are doing intercropping uh, and, and double cropping as well, especially when you look at forage mixtures. But we're more so just trying not to feed the weeds that are out there. Yeah. Um, and it, a little bit easier for us, I guess, on, on that side of things, if that makes looking sense. Looking into coffee, and like this is my experience in, back in Brazil. Looking to coffee, you could rotate, right? You could use like this, well, what do you mention? Like using a different crop. In between your rows, yeah, intercropping, mm -hmm. like intercropping, right? Yep. Uh, mainly you can use for fern, okay, right? For or for grass or for animals, yep, right? So you can do it's just a matter of how you manage it, right? Right, because you don't want 
that inner crop should take control. And that's with inter inter any intercropping system is making mm -hmm. sure that yeah. <laughs> you know your secondary mm -hmm. crop does not take over. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess moving in, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the season here in a minute, but what do you expect for uh, yields, I guess, not only on a per tree basis, uh, maybe on an annual basis, and then also what do you where do you see the future of the yields going is it improving is it pretty steady yes and this like is like nikki like experience <laughs> on growing coffee here in hawaii like helped like a lot we like we were discussing like comparing from last year to this year like changing the fertilizer program and that helped a lot okay and that's what we're seeing now the the cherries are ripening like better and they're getting bigger Instead of just using macronutrients, we are using a little bit of the micronutrients in there, like when is the right time. Okay. So, like I was saying, like last year we had the volcano, which affected a lot. So we normally get like between 80,000 percent uh, or 80,000 pounds to 100,000 pounds a cherry per right. year. And last year we got 42. And now we are at a point that we almost produce like everything that we produced last year. So we are at 31, 32. And, and this is early in the season. Early in the season. Right. So, like, I was discussing this with Nikki. I didn't want to share this to anybody yet, but since we're talking about it, like, I'm expecting this year to be, like, even a little bit more than 100,000 uh, pounds. That's phenomenal. I don't know if it's going to happen. It looks like it's going to happen. So I just want to... Yeah, knock on wanna, wood, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... and so for those listening, if you don't remember, Hawaii is a volcanic area. Uh, in 2018, had some volcanic eruptions that disturbed a lot of the area and is mainly due to the cloud cover, right? Cloud cover, yeah. And the fog. Yeah. Yeah, the fog that was coming, because normally the way that the wind blows, it blows to the west side, west side of the island. So even though the, the volcano was on the east side, the south side of the island was the blowing out the fog here. Right. So we almost couldn't see the ocean. Wow there so was and basically a 50% yield reduction yep. uh, or more mm -hmm. and now that was pretty much through the Kona region that was throughout basically every place but I would say the north the end north which is Javi okay um you know the one thing about with the volcano last year that I always try and explain to people every district went through something so with the Hilo end, yes, they had the lava flow, but believe it or not, they had the best air quality because the wind blows coincide. Um, but what happened right after the volcano stopped, the hurricane came. So a lot of the crops there got dealt with the flooding out of everything through the rainstorms. Uh, for us here in Kona, we dealt with so much fog. Um, there was days that we would be wearing masks coming to work. Uh, and what it is, is we don't have that sunlight that is on your fruits, your fruits can't ripen and they'll, they'll basically die off the tree, which is mm -hmm. called a dieback, because yep. it's not getting enough nutrients. Um, on the south side of the island, it was a little bit different because they wasn't dealing with just the vault. They were dealing with the volcanic ash plumes landing on top of their crops. So they had to deal with it a little bit differently because you can't just go and spray the ash because it becomes like cement. Right. So you're basically suffocating your tree. Right. So you have to go and get blowers to blow off the ash off of your tree, off of your rows, go back through, and you have to physically, and we've done it here too, mm -hmm. where we have to physically fill up our water 
um, our sprayers and actually spray the trees with water just so that the, the leaves would be able to take in some of that um, water into it. So it was a crazy time of year. But you don't have any other option. Yes. I mean, other than no, the, the plants don't. die. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. But what was really unique, and this is something that we were talking about not too long ago, is um, so the ending of last season is when we're, we actually changed over the fertilizer. But what also happened is when the volcano stopped, our trees went into producing mode. So we started flowering a month before, a month before our normal flowering. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very interesting because usually you get four flowerings. Mm -hmm. We're at seven. seven. Wow. Which is unheard of. So it hurt us last year, but it looks like it's going to help us this upcoming season to make up the balance. Um, but it's all about timing, knowing when to throw your fertilizer so that way your tree is giving it what it needs at that certain point so none of your fruit fall off the trees. And that's about it. I think we had mentioned earlier offline here, Rod, two years to kind of get back into maybe a, a more normal production year. Mm -hmm. Is that right? And because like trees and any other tree, any other crop, like is a living thing. Right. Right. So it's not just something that you do, it's going to respond to you right away. Yeah. And the, the same thing for for the coffee that's why we had so low production last year too like Nikki was saying like the dieback right so the tree the the cherries they would not ripen they would go yellow and die and that's right? disheartening right in the is basically the tree going to a survival right mode yep so it's trying to drop all the seeds that it can right so we were done September last year we were done with the harvest like done. that's it and that's interesting too. I mean, we have the same thing with, you know, corn production too. You'll see tip back, you'll see dieback associated with that. As we mentioned earlier, we had in the Midwest a period where, you know, two months, a lot of areas did not see hardly any rainfall at all. Uh, we did get some rains here recently that helped us out, but we see the same effects of that. And another interesting note that I want to make that you mentioned that you hit on there is it doesn't change just like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a two, three, five year difference in what we see with that is not only different uh, fertilizer and management plans, but also tillage practices, uh, application practices, you know, the type of equipment that you're using. We see that too. And a lot of people, it's hard to understand that it takes so, time. Our biggest struggle um, prior to me and him entering into these positions was, uh, like I said, I've been in coffee for a really long time. Mm -hmm and pruning is really important and there's a time to do it there's a way to do it to maximize your field and maximize everything that's around it um well let's just say four years prior to us it wasn't done properly so we were still dealing with the lack of farm management and practices uh, when we came into this position. So we were struggling, I think, with getting the field to where it needed to be, but we had to explain that it's not gonna be an automatic. Um, we're gonna see the big bang of it in two years. Cause now we've pruned it, right? But now we gotta wait for the production to come. We gotta wait for the trees to mature. Um, so that was a big thing. Cause people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, well, we have to do this. If not, we're just not going to have production. Right. And so we had to explain. And especially if you do like agriculture for a business, right? You want to get like a consistent like result yes. or a consistent yield, right? Sometimes you're going to have like not just uh, volcano-wise, but you have 
40% of our production one year, and then you have 100% the other year, and then 30% the other year. So that doesn't make any sense. So you want to have like an average, like consistent, like production, and that you only get if you have like a consistent method yep. of growing it or like maintaining it or pillage. And that's like what you mentioned, like the machinery that you use. And here is such as like a steep terrain, rock, uh, rocky soil. Yep. Uh, you we can't basically use like any. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen any tractors yeah. rolling around here. Like, right here. Yeah, <laughs> the two hands. That's your so machinery. We, we do have, but out of seven blocks that we have uh, of coffee, we're using two or three. Okay. The other one, everything has to be by hand. Right. Like the pruning by hand, like chainsaw, chainsaw, right? Chainsaw. Yep. One by one, 8,932 trees in two months and a half, three, three months, wow. one by one. So. It's, it's good because you're getting your hands into the trees and you know how much that tree is going to produce eventually, but it's hard to because you need to manage time, equipment, and then the results that that uh, that everything that you did. So. Yeah, well, and I think if you told a farmer in the Midwest that they had to go over however many acres they have and, you know, touch every one of 30,000 or 35,000 plants yep. that they have on that so acre it's significant on, like um stomping so there's pruning that we do every year we prune up our trees uh, but for stomping it's usually a rotation of one third okay so it's every third row um so that way it's a consistent number um a lot of people went into block stomping and they regret it hmm. Because when you have five blocks and I stomp three of them, you're only producing off of two. And of course, it's going to shrink. Right. Um, so that's why they went into the every third row. Okay. Um, to where, you know, consistently it's going to be, you can minus that one third out. Right. Because it's gone. But then you create a cycle. So you're going to, every third row, the next year, that tree starting to come up, you do the next row. So this one's gonna start producing for you, you lose this one, so you're always at that one third loss. Right. So you can have a very consistent number right across. And by rotating it, like your tree is gonna be producing more instead of you just leaving it there. So the loss that you're gonna take is gonna come like in yielding production from that tree that you stumped like the previous year. So, so yeah. that one third rotation, is that something that you gain from experience or research has been done into that? Uh, you know, it's it's both. Okay. Um you know when we got into well when i got into coffee it was everything was about cutting everything down okay you, you start fresh but the thing is then you lose your whole production for a year and a half two years so you couldn't do that because then you'd be out of business for two years and you're like oh i'm back in business so it started okay what if we stop down one block and then we they started doing um Okay, instead of one block, what if we do every four rows? So it was an experiment. And what they realized is when they do every four rows, it's just not enough. Okay. So when they started doing every three rows, they realized, oh, we're keeping our production high, where it's stable, we're not losing too much, and it's actually manageable to do. Because a lot of people don't realize after you stomp a tree, that's only just the first stage. Mm -hmm. Then you actually have your select pruning. Then you have, you know, all these maintenance into these trees that aren't producing. So when you do a whole block, 
I won't see you for a month. Right. Have fun. Um, and a lot of it is because you got, it grows suckers, and you got to pick the best suckers, and you got to know what you're doing. So it takes time to actually look at your tree, see which branch is going to produce for you, which one is the strongest. Right. Um, so it's more to it than just cutting down a tree. Um, so that every third row became manageable for people to be able to go in and, and hand select what, the ones that they wanted, not lose so much crop, and create a cycle to where you're constantly in food production. And how long do you anticipate uh, with this rotation of every third for that plant to survive? Over a hundred years. A hundred years, mm -hmm. okay. And that's, now these are grafted plants, or grafted trees, do I understand yeah. that correctly? Yeah. And now, with your experience on on that, and you have experience as well, what um, what does that look like? What does that grafting actually entail? Like, grafting is tricky, right? Because, like, people there, they're listening to, is they know this already. Yes. Because, like, when you graft a tree, like, there's, so much possibilities to get like uh, diseases okay right? so we do uh, two varieties normally the liberica root system and the robusta okay. root system and to be called kona coffee needs to be erotica yeah. right so we do the top or i don't know how you call it the top part yep right yeah uh, the so top your main one, yeah the main one main is, is arabica, arabica and the root system is liberica robusta liberica robusta because they have a stronger root system okay Right, so they grow better under this environment. Disease control. And disease control too. Okay, for that variety. Yeah. yeah. So if you use only Arabica, then you would have like your like your main uh, root turning into a J. If it turns into a J, then it dies. Yes. Right. So we use mainly this too, and it works great. The like from my perspective, from looking at the trees, and maybe like he has more insight about it too. But like the robusta, is it grows better. Okay. They they grow healthier, and they produce eventually better because the roots are there, are healthier. And how long has that grafting been part of the industry? Uh, grafting came in probably about they started doing it probably about 25 years ago. 25 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So right about the time that yeah. Kona Joe's would have started. started. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't realize coffee trees, gardenia plants. They're related. So you could literally take a gardenia plant and graft the coffee tree on it. On it yeah. And you have gardenia flowers on the bottom and, and a coffee on the top. Wow. Um, and it's, I think with... And we do have some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most important thing when we're grafting is making sure the rootstock itself is very strong. Okay. Uh, a lot of it has to do with, like I say, we're growing in blue rock. It's solid rock. Uh, the plain arabica or typical variety of coffee, those roots tend to turn, mm -hmm. or what we call J root. And what happens, your tree will literally start to tilt and it'll actually crack off right at the um, uh, taproot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but with the liberica and the robusta, you'll notice that it's a lot more straighter and mm -hmm. it's a lot more thicker. Right. So we're using it because it can withstand the environment. Uh, but when you graft on an Arabica, you're actually still getting Arabica. Right. So that's the kind of cool thing about it. But there are people actually on the island that do do it from seed, but it just takes so much longer. So you're doing the grafting here in-house? 
or um, is that no, we from someone have else? No, someone does yes. it. Okay. Someone does yeah. it for us, and then we go and check the quality of the, the grafted trees, and then we bring it in. Right, and that makes sense. You you got to do what you're good at. And <laughs> they used to do it in the past. That's why we have the greenhouse there. Okay. But it's just like it became into a cost-wise yeah. situation that was better to outsource it. Right, yeah. absolutely. Now, let's back up here I guess a little bit and if you could just take a couple minutes to kind of outline uh, the growing season is you know it's not a, uh, a common okay we plant and then blooming and harvest you know it's not I mean it's similar but mm -hmm. different right you'd be surprised how many people stay on a schedule okay um, you know I can tell you right now our flowering season we usually start January okay mid-January you're gonna get your first flowering Usually that season lasts maybe about two months. Two months, yeah. Two months, and you get all of about four flowerings. Uh, your harvest season is exactly six months after that. So once you flower, and that's the one thing that we've been really good at, is we actually mark on our calendar when our flowerings happen. So we know when we need to be going out there and checking the cherry for ripeness. Because mm -hmm. um, for how long they set, too. Yeah. Because um, they're supposed to set, like here, and like we were mentioning about this this year. Here in Kona, they normally set for four days. Yes. Like in Brazil, they set for seven days. So if they set for four days here, you know that you're gonna have like fruit. Right. Right. And if they if they abort before, then you're losing. Uh, he the is actually freaking out. He's like, the flowers are falling off too soon. I'm like, no, that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, because for me it was like seven days, and it was like, my God, like five days, four days, and they're like dying. I was like, oh, something is happening. But here in Kona, is four days, four to five days, and then. I often you see the the berries coming out. So with yeah. the four flowerings for those listening, you have the four to five days. Those are coming every, you know, consistently over a month. Like uh, weeks, like you see, like one week, the four days, one flower, four days, and then you have like a week, a week and a half, and then you see the next one, mm -hmm. a week, a week and a half, you have the next one. Okay. The the first one is like a light one, and then you have the second one, and the third one, the main ones. Okay. And then you have a light one. Maybe over a month and a half, yep. then you're seeing those four flowerings. And, and you said seven flowerings this yep. year. Mm -hmm. And what triggered a lot of it, uh, and what people don't realize, is heavy rainfall forces flowering. So it all depends. So, like, we're in hurricane season right now. And um, if we get a lot of big rainfall, we're going to get one more flowering that happens on the trees. That's just how it works. Mm -hmm. uh, anytime you look in coffee, as soon as you see heavy rainfall, look for white flowers or you'll look for the buds because within three or four days you're going to see those buds start coming up um and that's why with the flowering it comes in january because january is actually one of our wettest months okay and what is your rainfall in this area are you 45 to 50 inches of rain or Less a year a year. year for a year annually year. yeah it was 30 i the last time that i checked was last week 30 30 something yeah almost 40. okay uh, interesting yeah. and that's actually pretty similar to a lot of the areas in the midwest too um mm -hmm. but i think your your patterns are a little different yes, as far as when your rainfall comes the amounts that you get at a time and we're on a tropical island <laughs> expect the unexpected right is what i always say it is everything is so intense so you have like rain when the rain comes like you have the rainy season just like comes like at once and stay for two months i say because it has been raining for every day for yeah. almost two months now like mm -hmm. every single day yeah and it rains for three or four about three or four hours okay then well, all of a sudden you're just gonna be baking hot in the sun yeah which is october september late september october then you're gonna be like just sunny 
hot. Right. Now, with the flowering, what's the biggest factor for uh, pollination? Airflow. Airflow, okay. And that's why being on the hilltop, being in the trellis system, it helps us out so much more. And that's where that 40% really comes in. Because when you open up a tree, so coffee flowers are actually self-pollinating. We let bees in, we ain't gonna chase them away, they're helping us. Right. But if there weren't, as long as there is aeration through the trees, we can get the pollination. And so by being on that hilltop, we're using that mountain air that comes down to help us pollinate our trees. By opening up the tree, you get more airflow through. Mm -hmm. That means you get more pollination. Um, so that is one of the biggest things that people don't realize. They think that, um, that you, you know, you can just put a coffee tree in a room with no airflow and it's going to produce for you. No, it needs some type of movement to cause that um, pollination to happen. And the right. airflow just works out perfect where we're at with the mountain air, um, especially with the ocean breeze that comes up. So we're getting it in both directions, right. which helps us a lot. That's very interesting. And so pollination, you're doing your critical insecticide spraying throughout that. Any other primary management throughout the season that you have? Or, you know, pruning obviously is... Mm -hmm. The main Almost a continuous be, process, yeah, right? Continuous process. That's like the main like yes. one too. Because growing coffee in the trellis is like a new thing. Like for me it's new, like for Nikki she was here before. But you need to be constantly out there and looking at the trees and maybe training them and to see if actually that tree or that, that branch is uh, being supported by the wires and if they're not leaning to the side too much. So pruning and maintaining the tree okay and right, are you throughout the year are you actually tying you're tying to the trellis yes. correct uh -huh. okay so in the in the trellis you have the bottom wire for the irrigation the main one uh like about where you take the two bottom laterals the strongest bottom laterals and we actually twist them to the opposite direction and we'll slowly start tying them out to stretch along that wire and we do that for about two and a half feet on each side okay once that happens, we'll actually leave the wires there to strengthen that branch. And what will happen is that the ends of those branches search for the sunlight coming up. So they create, like I always say, a pitchfork, mm -hmm. where you have your first main that came down, and you two bottoms, now you stretch it out past that. And now you've opened up the tree. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the big thing about the trellis is that you need to be able to, like I say, be selective on which ones you're doing that to mm -hmm. uh, as well as just like any other tree it's going to start throwing up suckers all over the place yeah. you need to be able to go ahead and select the best get rid of what you don't need um, and that's something that me and him always talk about is suckers just take nutrients from your tree they don't produce for you yep. so you need to pull as much of those out unless you're planning on making that one of your verticals right um that way all the nutrients is actually going to the to the tree as well as to the fruits um so that was something that we went through yeah. last season a lot and because like if you every vertical if you bend to the side that vertical eventually is gonna turn into a lateral okay right yeah you're saying, right like yeah. Needed. yeah so you turn into a lateral and then it's gonna give new verticals right so if you're bending and twisting to the side and training to go sideways you have your main one you have the other ones but that gap in, in between you're gonna see 
a lot gotcha. than me. Yep. Right. So that's the tricky part. Like to see how much they're producing. If, for example, in the trellis, you want to expect like between 12 uh, pounds, 14 pounds a tree. Okay. Normally, regularly, a tree produces like 10, 11, 10, 12 okay. pounds a tree. So if you're getting that 14 pounds a tree and the size that you want, okay, that's what we went through like this year to see three, four, five verticals, like nine verticals, it depends like on the tree and if actually you don't have like too many circles, right. uh, suckers there. So are you keeping management records on that as far as, or is that just a, a know-how? I'm assuming oh, you no. document it, right? I document. Yeah, yeah. Like each block we have like one specific record for each one. That's so awesome. Like which fertilizer we're using, like how much coffee we're getting from each. Now, like we're uh, getting from each block, eventually maybe we're gonna talk about this later but when i get like the, the we want to get how much each line each row is producing right mm -hmm. so now we know exactly how much each block is producing so eventually we're gonna know like it's maybe one day like be, it's three. um with coffee it's never gonna be super consistent you can get an average uh, and the reason for that is younger trees are gonna produce less and then your older trees are going to produce more. Mm -hmm. And by cutting down the trees or stomping them every three years, now you create that cycle again. Mm -hmm. um, so one row that he stomped last year, we produce on just a round number that I'm throwing out there, maybe I'll produce 200 pounds on that row because it's young. Right. But the following year, that same row is now in food production. And so now you're going to be getting your 15, 14 pounds a tree. Mm -hmm. um, so it varies depending on what row you're actually stomping, how many rows you stomp. Um, so that's why the track record, because when trees are growing, once it hits the third year after you stomp, you kind of forget when you did it. So that's why you got to go back and be like, oh, when did I do this one? Okay, now it's that time. Yep. Um, so he's an awesome record keeper. Do you have any digital recording or is it all uh nope, it's all on spreadsheet. spreadsheet excel spreadsheets excel spreadsheet. yes, yes. yes. old school make the world go around yep <laughs> so any yeah right Everybody so outside of pruning before harvest any other key management that we're maybe missing on here uh the other management is just making sure that your field is ready yeah. for your pickers okay um, because we hand harvest, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. Then um, it's just like me having mechanical. harvested, mechanical. Yeah, you so send you a have mechanical like, in there, it just Yeah, because you have people there, right? right? You don't want to have like rocks huge and king, grass, uh, king and grass or rocks like there, because that can be like a safety like thing for them too. And it's a hard job, and we want to make it as easy as possible for them too. Yeah. Because they're hand-picking everything and stuff, and they want the production because they want to get paid for the pounds that they, they pick. We want a good production too, the good quality cherries. So it's just a win-win situation. Yeah, absolutely. That makes complete sense. Field management. Now, okay, so with harvest, uh, you said basically a, a three-month, four-month period, August On to December? December, yeah. Okay. Yeah, four or five months. Yeah. And we had talked about this earlier, but any of the berries, because they ripen at different times, mm -hmm. um, if there's still berries left over that aren't ripe at a certain time, you're pruning those and we strip them. Strip them. Right. Okay. So you need to move, like remove, like as much as you can, because that's gonna be like we were talking about the CBB, yep. uh, the coffee bar, but 
if you don't, that's like it's gonna like attract your beetle okay. to come back. Right. Right. So you want to strip your trees, even though like Nikki was saying, you have like a really huge like rain in August. Oh, Maybe yeah. eventually you're gonna see like some babies, like, some berries coming, right in September, October. That's gonna not gonna be ready in December. Right. So eventually that you have to strip it. Strip them. Yeah. Reset. Get ready for the next crop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So farm maintenance is like tree maintenance, and farm maintenance is key. Three things that you don't want. Um, for me anyway, tall grass around your trees during harvest season. Second thing you want to do is uh, is actually clean around your trees after harvest season. Remove any old cherries that may have fallen onto the ground because what can happen is that beetle will be in that cherry and it can live in there. Um, So if I don't clean up under my tree, I'm just reinfesting my next crop. Right. The other thing is cleaning your trees, making sure that there's no purples or what we call raisins or overripes on top of your trees. You actually want to start your flowering season with nothing on there. Okay. Um, That way you can keep your percentage being very low inside of the CBB, mm-hmm. but as well as you'll notice that your fruit, your flowering and your fruits come very, very consistent. Because if I just left every flower that was left on there, I'd be picking year round yeah. and it'd be like five pounds here, 10 pounds there. But by doing that, we're able to be like, okay, it, it flowered in January. We know this is when it's gonna happen. So you can kind of be on a cycle, unless like last year, our weather was completely backwards yeah so i couldn't even time anything out once the volcano started and right. just to mention since we were mentioning about the pickers too is that's a, a big difference too if you if you know which pickers you're uh, hiring because mm-hmm. they can damage your tree too okay. just like mechanical harvest right if they don't know what they're doing like they can just break the branches or pick the wrong ones or even the leaves if they take too much of the leaves that branch is not going to produce like the following year right so it's about like field maintenance too and knowing the people there you're hiring to do the job too so hiring the right people yeah. proper training mm-hmm. proper demonstration and yeah. then also following up and checking to make sure yeah. they're doing the job correctly yeah yeah that's crucial Very crucial. so harvest happens all right mm-hmm. so you're pulling the ripe cherries off what happens after that 12 hours you have to process 12 hours to process so i i don't know if anyone has ever seen a coffee fruit or a coffee cherry it's a cherry because it's the actual fruit and before it turns into coffee but there's different layers of a coffee cherry so there is a red outer skin under that um red outer skin there's also called the mucilage layer the sugar layer it's a gel coat underneath that is what we call our parchment skin underneath that there is what we call our silver skin so there's four layers that we actually have to go through in order to get to that green bean so what usually happens is every day that the harvest is done Rodrigo will go behind at six o'clock and run through the field pick up all the bags of cherry weigh them grade them Uh, when we were talking about grading he's looking for color he's looking for consistency in the picking uh, making sure there isn't any green coffee cherries in there um, and from there it'll go into the wet mill mm-hmm. okay in the wet mill like we were mentioning before we have four machines two uh, popers demystifiers and the skin auger then we have two propane based uh, dryers okay so normally our pickers they pick like 2,000 pounds 2,500 pounds between 1,500 pounds 2,500 pounds a day okay depending on the day and 
So we take all the coffee, they start at 7, finish at 7, 6.30, wet meal, and then start wait, grade the coffee, and it runs through the pulper, the skin auger, and the misfire, and then we put in a, in a big tank with water. So there it sits like tops for three days, because if it goes like more than three days, it ferments too much, because we want like that layer of uh, pulp or the mucilage to Dissolve. Be yeah, dissolve. So, so it actually sloughs off of the green bean then, yes. right? Okay. So yeah. you can do in a in the demisfire, yep. right? Like just not like putting too much water, like where it goes in a, in a demisfire. Yep. But if you're leaving in the tank because you don't know how much coffee you're getting one day and the other day, that's why we use the tank, right? So we want that mucilage to dissolve. And then from there, we put in the propane uh, uh, dryers. Dryers, okay. So normally, 5,000 pounds would take like between 48 hours to 72 hours, depending okay. on the on the day too. And so are you doing those batches separately? You said there's different trays in there, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. So we, uh, one of our dryers is a horizontal dryer. You have two uh, compartments. Okay. Right. And the vertical one, you have three. Gotcha. Right. So at a time, I like I try to put like all the three uh, at the same time. In case no, I use the two bottom ones, and then the following day I put the the last layer, and I start to remove the other one. So we keep like adding and rotating the the coffee in there. Do you keep track of that on a spreadsheet yes. too? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Got to make sure you're not drying too yeah, long. Yeah, so <laughs> it goes uh, like every day because I also live down the farm. So every day in the morning I check the moisture in the beans if uh, if we have coffee in the dryer. So we're looking between 9% humidity, 12% humidity. So there's moisture sensors in the dryers yep. that are telling you that. Okay. Not in the dryers, but we have like a moisture reader. A moisture reader. Oh, okay, right. Right. So we go there and take a sample, do three tests yep. to see if it's consistent, and if it's between nine and twelve, and depend on the weather too. If it's like rainy, rainy day, nine, then because we still need to transport the coffee from the farm up here. It'll so pick up moisture on yes. the in transportation. Yep, mm -hmm. we see that with soybeans as well. Yep. So he was talking about the demusifying and the fermentation. There is a reason why we actually do the tanks as well. So we are dealing with the seed of the coffee plant. It's right. alive and coffee is super, super absorbent. So when you do the fermentation process, you let that sugar layer dissolve on its own. What you're also doing is giving that seed on the inside a chance to get any extra sugars because the higher sugar content, the less acidic. So if I can get more sugars right towards the end of drying, it's better for me. Right. So it takes a little bit longer, but you get a better quality coffee. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that, that's one of the main reasons why we actually do what we do, as well as we can store more, but mm -hmm. um, it's to actually bring up the quality of the coffee. That's awesome. I mean, that it, it really is. I mean, it's yeah. a science, you know, when, mm -hmm. when you think about it. And there's different process, and Nikki can talk about more about this, yeah. like more in details. There's different process on that. Like sometimes you can sun dry the cherries mm -hmm. instead of All just the natural putting, process. Yeah, you just instead of uh, putting the machines or the demisifier or the the, the pulper it's so right away. It's to do that. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it's difficult. So because you want to get more quality, but if you sun dry it and you if you go too far, maybe like one hour, thirty minutes that goes further, you ruin the coffee. Right. Instead of getting a better quality coffee, you get like a worse quality coffee. So this is like more controlled yeah, for it's us. Controlled. Yeah. So basically there's a natural process. You'll see it in a lot of um, Ethiopian coffees where they'll pick the right cherries and they put it on um, basic, uh, 
what would you call it? Patio. Like a yeah. pad, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A cement it's pad. like a mm-hmm. cement pad, and yep. they'll lay out all the coffee cherries, and you'll see somebody out there every 30 minutes rotating yeah. it. Right. The reason for that is you actually have to get that even consistency happening, as well as what they're looking for is any molding that happens. Um, because that's the whole thing about nachos that really concern me. Uh, coffee, once you let it start to form it in its skin, can cause a fungus basically on top of the coffee that you can't get rid of after um, processing. After it's roasted, it's called phenol, which is actually bad for us. Yep. Um, so coffee can actually cause that. So you need to be able to be in a controlled environment, knowing what your weather is going to be like, um, what is the temperatures like, is it going to be high humidity as you're drying it. Um, so with that one, you're going to notice a lot of people say it tastes more whiny. Okay. Or sour you get more of the fermentation flavor in that um, and then you also have what it's called the honey or the semi process uh, it's actually one of my favorite processes to do but it's just a lot of labor um, basically what it is is where you take your cherry and you only remove that red skin so that mucilage layer mm-hmm. we actually dried in that mucilage layer really so yes so what it does it creates more of an earthy buttery tone in the coffee mm-hmm. um, uh, it's a little bit difficult to do because you're dealing with high moisture. So the first 48 hours is very crucial because uh, you actually have to move it. But because it's a mucilage or a sugar layer, guess what it does? It sticks to everything. Right. So you actually have to constantly be moving it as you're drying it. Um, and if you're doing complete sun-dried, it's even more of a labor-intensive. Yeah. So a lot of people when they're doing the natural or they're also doing the honey process known as a semi they'll take it to where their moisture content is about 15 and then they'll go ahead and put in the dryers to finish it off because 15 to 10 is your hardest right to get down yep um especially like over here we have such high humidity it just <coughs> continues to go back and forth mm-hmm. and you don't want that to happen too often Right. Because then you're changing the inside of the actual green bean and the flavor profiles of your coffee. So a lot of times, you get it to 15, goes into the dryer to just finish off. And that's off. the same thing that happens like with soybeans yes. and yeah. corn. Right. Mm-hmm. Too. Mm-hmm. Yep, same drying issues. Yeah. You know, you have your techniques. People know when the correct time, the yeah. uh, correct moisture is uh, for the easiest dry down and the controlled dry down. And I, I can definitely see how that's critical here and interesting you know the different processes too I don't think a lot of people probably realize Mm -hmm. the variety of options and how that you know ultimately it affects everything affects the flavor and the product and and quality and even you know health issues as you're saying you know that could have a significant impact there so okay goes through the wet mill process you're dried down now you mentioned you bring it up to the the dry mill I'm gonna have a question for you okay great (laughs) okay so Say we did 100,000 pounds of coffee cherry off of our field. Right. And we just went through this whole process. Mm-hmm. What do you think my weight loss is? Uh, 20%. Try 80. 80% weight loss. 20% is what we have. Yeah. Wow. Really? And remember I was saying how Kona coffee, quality coffee is more expensive? That's why. There you go. Um, because there is, it's the total to get it down to green bean is actually 81% if done properly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some people that lose even higher amounts of that because they don't pay attention to what they're doing. But for us here, we're very consistent. Because mostly everything in a coffee cherry is moisture. 
Well, yeah, oh. I was just gonna say. Yeah. I mean, your your harvest moisture percentage. I mean, you're yeah. at ninety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eight percent, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, uh-huh. <laughs> in order to get dried down. I'll tell you a hundred, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So from a hundred thousand, we're literally left with twenty thousand pounds of green bean. Right. And then on top of that, when you go into the roastery, from that point, you lose another twenty percent. And the key thing to that is, like for us, we're all about quality. So we use our size grader, our sizing machine. We use our gravity. All of those things, you actually lose a little bit more every time you use that but you bring your quality higher because you can remove the rubbish or what we call our 3x some other mm-hmm. beans and basically things that you wouldn't want to use um but you lose that weight so your quality quality is just a small portion so are you looking at I'm, and i'm just ballparking mm-hmm. here thirteen thousand pounds roasted product roasted product 13 yeah. to 15 yeah, around 15, there 15. okay it all really depends on the roast profiles that you use right you can lose up to 20 percent in the roaster um but you can lose as low yeah. as like 12 percent like the charges deserve is 12 percent 12 13 percent so it, it it varies depending on the size of the bean what is the moisture content uh what roast profile that you're using because I could do a fancy extra fancy and I roast it to a darker and espresso I'm gonna lose 20 to 25 percent so okay let's come back to that <laughs> you, you're, you're jumping ahead you're getting right to where I want to go um, okay so it, you know okay. it comes to a dry mill and then you move to the gravity table seed mm-hmm. sizer yeah. um, you know talk through that process a little bit so so we have a, a like the size grader right so you still have the, the hard skin the parchment skin to get rid of so uh, we have a huller yep. so basically it spins to get the husk out of the beans right and it goes to a wall that's placed by air from the bottom to the top to get the extra skin that is still in there with the beans yep then from there it goes to the size grader so we have six sizes of springs shakes has little fingers in the bottles of the coffee does it get stuck or any seeds does it get stuck and then it separates into extra fancy fancy berry number one prime and mother beans now is that industry-wide sizing mm-hmm. okay yeah. you also hear mother beans also known as 3x 3x, 3X. okay mm-hmm. and so describe those sizes and the differences so if you would you want to have uh for coffee quality coffee you want to have a big big uh bean but a heavy bean big and heavy bean so extra fancy and uh dense right not have yeah, density. density. Yeah, right, uh-huh. I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, English barrier. Yep. Uh, extra fence in the fence are the best quality ones, the biggest ones, the heaviest ones. Right. And then you have the pea berry, which is a specific thing. And then you have number one and prime. That's yep. your kind of your everyday type of coffee. Right. right. And then you have the mother beans, which we is the light bean. The right. Big one, but it's light. Yep. So that we basically use for flavored coffee. Okay, right. No, because then it has too much of the, the coffee flavor in it. Right. And then the pea berry is uh, just a whole bean. Okay. Right? It looks like a, a pea, right? And every coffee cherry or fruit it starts as one seed. Then it splits into two. Okay. Right? And the pea berry stays as one. Interesting. And so you get that higher density in a smaller bean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and 16 years ago, we didn't know what it was. Yep. Thought it was garbage. Yeah, people thought it was a defection of the beans. They used to dump the pea berry. Wow. Because they didn't know. And then we found out it's like one of the best to drink. And how did that come about? I mean, uh, by we accident? We started going into the research behind every single 
um, coffee? What was the health benefits? So which one was the highest in acidity? Which one was the lowest in acidity? Uh, which one was the smoothest? Which one was the sweetest? Which one? And they were able to see that with the pea berry, because it gets double the amount of nutrients, it gets more sugar. So it brings down the acidity so low that like a uh, flavor profile of a pea berry. It's like a coffee tea. It's very light and subtle. But your antioxidants and your caffeine levels through are the up roof because it's more concentrated. Very interesting. So it's husked, it's sized, uh, gravity yeah. table separated, uh, it's bagged at that point, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 100 pound bags. 100 pound bags. Mm -hmm. and, and it goes to a storage room. To a storage room. And what, I mean, why in the why in the storage room? Right. The storage room, you can store like basically the same thing for grains. Right. Right. You can store like coffee beans, you can store up to two years. Okay. Before they start losing quality and they change the color. Instead right. of looking green, they go into a yellowish color. Right. And then. You want to keep like for 50 degrees, no 50% humidity, 75 uh, degrees. Okay. Right, and keep it there for two years. But our coffee, we were now like eight months. We are out of it, and right. we haven't any new. So your production coming. is matching your demand. Yes. Uh, it's our Close. demand is higher. Than higher. Last year was like way higher. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. and they had uh, talked about lost. that. Yeah. You know, before yeah. that you had to restrict where yep. your production actually went to mm -hmm. as a result of Kona Club members yep. and those who pay for the product, for right? The product. Yes. Uh, so the coffee stays there for for us for about eight months. And then we only roast, and Nikki can talk more in details about this too. We only roast when we need to roast. So we don't roast everything and the coffee seeds like roasted for months. Right. So we normally roast like two times uh, a week. So we bring the coffee from the the, the dry meal, bring it to the roasting room, 100 pound bags at a time, and then we go into the profiles. So we're using Big Joe, Little Joe, Big Joe Roaster. Big Joe is the big roaster, so he roasts up to 100 pounds at a time. Green bean. Green bean. Green bean. 100 pounds of green beans, uh, down to 25 pounds of green beans. Okay. And Little Joe goes from 25 pounds at a time to 5 pounds. Okay. So different batch sizes yep. for... Mm -hmm. Different things. Okay. Yeah. Right. And we have our profiles there. We can do it manually and we can do the profiles of the company too. So we have the trellis dessert, which is the extra fancy and the fancy green beans. Yep. There is a profile that we use that is the trellis reserve profile. Okay. That's our best coffee. Then it has the profile there already. So you don't need to go through. Right. Like, Minimize like uh, human errors. Yeah, you have, you maintain that consistency. Yeah. Just like mm -hmm. you want consistency in production, you want consistency in product. Yeah, and that's why, <laughs> you know, it's on a different scale. But McDonald's, that's why people like McDonald's. Uh -huh. You're getting the same product the same every product. single time. Yeah. Well, with Kona Joe's, I mean, mm -hmm. it's that same way because you're maintaining that same profile, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, the master roaster. <laughs> now you mentioned that you know you're you're proud of that. It's something that over your time in the industry that uh, you gained that experience and did you prompt that experience? How, how did that come about? And then what exactly does that mean? Um, you know, it was, <laughs> for me, honestly, the reason why I got into roasting is because like I was saying, I was managing a different farm. Right. But uh, for me personally, I also do have my own coffee. Right. And so when I got into doing coffee on my own and actually growing it and doing everything, I needed to know what the end product was. Because I knew I could plant the tree, I knew I could produce it, but I couldn't tell what the true quality 
of that coffee was behind it unless I knew the finished product and what they're looking for. Right. Um, so I ended up teaming up with, uh, believe it or not, my brother-in-law, which is a master roaster here as well. And me and him started swapping ideas. And he was like, hey, you want to learn how to roast? So I started roasting with him just on the side. Just My first time ever roasting was in a walk. <laughs> um, you know, but it also taught me how to use a lot of my senses when I was doing that. And when I, we got really serious about it, I basically told my husband, I need to go and know everything that there is to know. And that's when I actually went into school, started learning about different profiles, what happens in the chemistry of the coffee inside of there, how to create different flavors, um, and into the cupping. Um, so that's the whole reason why I got into it. And what I realized is I'm able to help other people by doing what I do. Right. Because there's so many small farmers here that want to make their own private label, but they just don't have the knowledge or the experience to do it. So they can come to me and be like, hey, this is how I grow my coffee. This is the type of coffee I grow. Can you create something for me? So it's kind of like being like a mad scientist, I guess. <laughs> um, and with roasting, it's all about being very precise, knowing exactly where you're at, where you're supposed to be. Uh, but the first thing about roasting is the quality from the field. Mm -hmm. If the quality is not in the field, it'll impact the flavor of your cup no matter how good of a roaster I am. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as for me, I'm always double checking moisture because if the moisture is off, my roast profile is off. The moisture is too high it's gonna lag my roast which is gonna change and impact the flavor of the cup if it's too low it's gonna pick up the heat too fast so these are all things that I have to be aware of when I'm roasting um, but it's fine you should do the ultimate yeah <laughs> well and what what's interesting to me is when you listen to uh, master chefs from around the world they understand that as you mentioned the fertility and the growing that's what impacts the quality and taste and it's no different in, in, in coffee I mean it's the exact same thing as the same thing you know um, if we're not getting the highest amount of sugar I know I'm gonna get a very acidic coffee if I know that they're picking half ripes I know I'm gonna have a bitter coffee you know uh, the one thing that I really like is when I went into school we did what is called green bean grading where where you grade the green bean before it even goes into the roaster so I can look for defects like I can pick up a handful of green bean and tell you, oh, this one's white. It wasn't ready yet. Mm -hmm. Oh, that one's going to be a floater. Oh, this one looks like it's a little bit sour. So I was able to keen in on those things and bring it here to Kona Joe's as well as work alongside with him to make sure those imperfections doesn't happen, to make sure that every cup tastes the same over and over again. Mm -hmm. Where did you do your schooling at? I had to fly to Seattle. Seattle, okay. And I did it in increments. It's not really cheap. Um, yeah. So you go in and you learn like roaster safety, you learn about the machines, and then you learn into more of like the cupping and flavor profiles. And then you go into, it's funny because there's little small test roasters uh, that you do test profiles on. And um, But a lot of it, it helped me doing that, right. but a lot of it that helped me was working alongside people here on the island. Mm -hmm. um, I got to know, besides my brother-in-law, which he's an awesome roaster, I got to meet so many other roasters here, um, and they all have their own nick and their own style. Mm -hmm. 
So what I've done along the years is took what they do and dismissed what I didn't like right. and kept what I wanted and created my own unique style of roasting mm -hmm. um, that works for me. Every roaster is, is completely different. Right. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, he's got, giving a compliment there. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. It was his, I think, uh, third week here. Uh -huh. And I he had just learned how to roast. And we had an ultimate tour where you actually teach people how to roast. And he texted me. He was like, I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> here I am in a text I can still, message. like, now I like, show you the text that she sent to me. And I was reading the text. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> Too much at once. <laughs> I was like, oh, just do this and this and he's like... The dropping oh. temperature, the terming points or the, the drop temperature. Yeah. I said, drop temperature? What I'm dropping? Like, I'm not dropping she was just showing off. Yeah, kind of. Actually, but what I did the next day that I came in, I actually took him alongside me and showed him what I was meaning by the terminology yeah. that I was using. Um, so a lot of times when I roast, uh, sometimes I forget myself. And I'll go into like real hyabolical terminology, like people would know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, what I realized in the past years is to break it down to layman's terms. Right. So like he was talking about bottom out numbers. That's when you put the coffee into the roaster and your temperature drops. So it's going to bottom out at a bottom out number. So like for Big Joe, 100 pounds, if the moisture is consistent, 166 degrees is supposed to be your bottom out number. Right. And it's going to pause and it's going to start to climb. Once it starts to climb, that's what you call your turnaround temperature. Um, so those are all the things I was telling him about. So basically was she was like, showing off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the first one is like your charge temperature. Right. Yeah. What you're actually bringing your roaster up to before you drop your green bean in. And for me, it was just like it was second different. nature to just like... Right, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was but funny because it But for me, it was nature too. I was like looking at the, the message and I was like, mm, I have no idea. <laughs> He sent me the message and two minutes later he had like five paragraphs like <laughs> <laughs> well and that's no different than a grain dryer operator at home too i mean when your corn when yeah. your corn comes in or soybeans or wheat or whatever when you're trying to dry it it takes a really good drying operator to know what they're dealing with to get it to the correct yeah. moisture and then you get into blending you you blend your different moistures that are coming in yeah. um i yeah. think anybody that's listening that has run a, a grain dryer with you know any amount of sophistication knows that it's a delicate process yeah mm -hmm. and like even drying the coffee now in the wet meal is each like for them too they would understand like when you're drying the coffee or when you're storing the coffee or the the grain depending on the the region where the, the the grain or the coffee beans are in the dryer, they dry on the trays, right? Yes, they right. dry differently. So you keep like even though you have the machine like mixing and trying to get it even hand or any other equipment to make it even because you know that some place is gonna dry it out faster. Right. And the same thing for the roaster too. Yeah. yeah. One one note that I want to make that from our travel experience here that I've really noticed. Uh, the culture, uh, you know, the Hawaiian culture traditionally has been a lot about uh, sharing and caring for each other and helping each other. And I, you know, I really see that not only in the passion for what you do, but uh, sharing that knowledge and collaborating with other. I, I think that's phenomenal. I really do. And so it's awesome to hear that people. you enjoy it. Right. Um, you know, I think like for me, I have a lot of knowledge in certain things. Rod has a lot of knowledge in other aspects. And if we didn't collaborate, then we would never know. 
um, like I was telling him, Brazil grows coffee a little bit different than how we grow coffee. And so it was a eye-opening experience for him, but it was also, I was able to take some knowledge that he had and be like, oh, I wonder if we could use it here. So it, we, we were able to bounce off each other, um, just like I do with other master roasters. And it's funny because now my brother-in-law, which was one of my teachers, calls me like, hey, Nikki, what do you think about this? And can you run this profile for me? Um, so everything is, for me personally, it's not only about the Kona region, it's, it's about bringing Hawaiian coffee up as a whole. Because if you come up as a whole, no matter what coffee you taste on the island and no matter what coffee you taste, as long as it's good and, and high quality, guess what? You're going to continuously come back. And it shouldn't be to where, oh, this one, one's always going to stand out better than the other, but everybody's palate is different. Right. So if you can nail down all those little aspects in the coffee, then you have a market that will never die. Mm-hmm. But it's when you cut corners. When you're right. not willing to collaborate, not willing to make the product better, that you'll start seeing it crash. And it's really interesting based on the regions, um, you know, with Eggview Solutions and the consulting side, you see different areas of some farms that are willing to share everything. They'll share their financial information, their practices, their markets, uh, you know, everything that they found that's helping them and doing right. And then you'll have different areas that they don't want to share anything. Mm-hmm. It's nobody's business. This is how I do my operation. And it's just an interesting dynamic, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's, it's to see everywhere. Right. I mean, I think what it is is just like anything else when you come into an industry and you're new. Um, like for me personally, when I came in, it was a no no, first of all, to be a female, a master roaster, and be in agriculture working coffee in the fields. So I struggled a little bit with that. Um, but once you can prove yourself to where like for me I always tell them you need help in the field let me know I'll come out there and jam with you I have no problem with that I'm not scared of the dirty work Mm -hmm. when they see that and they see your passion for it that's when they're gonna start being like okay I can trust her like I want her to be better like she's the next generation Mm -hmm. Um, they're just more selective because there's so many people here that will use your information to better them and say oh no I created it and for me, it's not like, for me personally, one thing I don't share is, I'm going to be honest, is some of my private profiles that I do roasting. Yeah. There's certain things that is like, I roast for other people. They don't know what their profile is. And that's so that way they constantly come back to me. Right. That's business. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that But is. if you want it, you can buy it for a price. Right. Um, just like anything else. Yeah. But there's some things you... You can teach them like I like I taught him. I taught him how to do a profile, and I'm like, now you got to create your own. You know, create your own niche. Right. Um, and that's how he grows as a person. Because if I continuously just, oh, this is what you do, he can't open up his mind yeah. to other things. Well, and that's great for the business and yeah. for yeah. people. I mean, it's growth, personal but growth. Yeah. Trust me, over here in Kona, it's very competitive. Right. Um, you'll notice that Kona is one of the hardest parts of the island in coffee because it's because now that they see like ooh is coming up, Hilo's coming up, there's so much competition that they're actually battling each other. You know, they're not willing to share secrets. They're not willing to, you know, and they're like, this is my family secret and um which is all fine and well. But I come from a different aspect of it. Like mm-hmm. 
instead of me asking you, oh, what do you do? I'm like, what can I do to help you? Yes. When you change the dynamic, they look at you like, are you really wanting to do this? Right. And then they respect you. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. You, you got to create a platform of respect on every level. And you'll notice that now you're family to everybody. Yeah. You know. You take care of people, they take care of you. You take yeah. care of the land, the land takes care of you. You give before you receive. Right. Yes. Give, 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 mm -hmm. ask. Yeah. Yeah. Or Truly. you know what you'll notice too a lot of the times is you give, give, give and you don't even have to ask. Now they're like, what can I help you with? Right. Um, and that, I think that's the solid part about like the Big Island or Hawaii in general is once you become connected, you are family. And so it, it changes the dynamic, right. um, just like how I run things here. It's not Rodrigo's my farm manager. He's like my brother, right. you know. And this is like what I was going to say, like if I can mention from my personal yeah. side, is like being a foreigner and doing something like that's unique, especially Kona coffee, such a small space. And you see that exchange, you know, you don't feel like awkward yeah like you know what i mean yeah and like it's weird to say this but we've been like you're working together for two years yeah like we had arguments but argumented <laughs> lasted for like what 30 minutes yeah. maybe <laughs> and then we were like exchanging again like Good. talking you know and that is like quite unusual unique, you know and because problems you're gonna have everywhere yeah right and that's like job and life yeah but if you're willing to just like get over it fast and learn from it and share and exchange stuff it's a good it's environment like, to work in yeah mm -hmm. yeah no like and that it was really funny because that half an hour argument was um something that was like a five minute fix maybe a 30 second fix it was just that we were so busy right we used to communicate on a daily and then it went to where he was slammed in the field i was slammed up here and then that lack of communication really affects yes so he actually thought i was mad at him and i wasn't mad at him <laughs> and he came up to me he's all like why are you mad at me for i'm like i'm not mad at you he's yes you are you're treating me there like, no, wait. <laughs> but after a while when we actually sat down we're like you know what it is is we're not sitting down and having like our weekly meetings or every other day where we can discuss like what's yeah, happening we close in the at field. five and we stay until 5 30 yeah just talking about the day and what we're planning for next week or yeah. next month or and i was just like going at 5 15. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it was, it was a lot that went into it but at the end of the day me and him just agreed like whether it's a text message a phone call mm -hmm. or you know um he's here a little earlier than me because he lives on property to have that five ten minute conversation of hey this is what my plan is or this is what i'm struggling with that way we can actually communicate and figure out a way around it or how to solve it and instead like of thinking oh she didn't talk to me and today, that's what you know? we were this, like we were talking before right? right like agriculture like agriculture is tough right right because you have to deal with plants and then you have to deal with they don't with talk costs. back to you they don't talk back <laughs> to you right but you have like costs like labor and then you have to put your product in the market right and that's like intense yeah. like for every like producer yeah right and sometimes and most of the times we get frustrated because we have so much going on like 
behind and then you have like to look and try to sell your product and then the market doesn't have like the right conditions for it and they have to store it then you don't have money to support like the next season and it's just like too much every farmer everywhere yep. listening to this right now is mm -hmm. shaking their head yep. and saying yes you know our hardest part is and this is actually where we got frustrated last season with this 30 minute argument was you know we were at the point where obviously our production was low but we also need the pickers to go in so you wasn't making we didn't have product to sell to create that income to pay the pickers so mm -hmm. how how do you adjust that right yes. um which we're able to get through but it takes creativity and it takes like two brains and that's what i tell them like you know I can't think of everything myself yeah. so when you have an idea shoot it my way I don't, I'm not gonna shoot it down or your idea and my idea might collaborate and might be perfect which actually is what happened last mm -hmm. year um, we were able to get the pickers in get the field cleaned um, but it, it was all about just him being able to communicate to me like hey you know what I need the extra income coming in to support it so right. what did I do I made my tour guides push and I made our sales people really push, push the wholesale, you know, because um, we're all about being self-sustainable. Right. There's a point in agriculture, you have a spending season, yep. you have, you know, <laughs> right? there's a spending yeah. season and it's hard because what you're spending on, you're not going to see the benefits of it till about three months later, right? So you have your buying, your buying season, your spending season. And you're making money season mm -hmm. and sometimes they don't flow the way you want it to yeah so sometimes you have to force the market um, what I mean by force the market is become creative in a way of how you sell your product um, and be more knowledgeable uh, and that was the one thing I wish Carlos was still here if you mm -hmm. met Carlos you would have loved him uh, he has an intern here and he was really good at taking what we do here and putting it into words for people to understand. Because right. um, when you can get consumers to understand what you're trying to do and why your product is so unique or why it's so much of a high quality, you not only gain one sale, you gain a lifetime of sales. Right. Because they constantly come back because that's what they want. Yeah. Um, so a lot of education. We even went into coffee school last season so that way they would actually know what happens in the field. Great. So a lot of the workers here up here, they see this. So they know the you know, the roasting process, they know the dry mill, but they don't know about the labor that goes in there. So going back into coffee school for a couple months and telling them, Hey, this is how long it takes for if you do it from seed. This is how long it takes from um, you know, grafting and going into the labor things that they go into it made our salespeople really understand what he was going through. Yeah, and Rod and I were talking about this a little bit offline, having that cross training yeah. and that understanding, oh, yeah. and you know, just being just dangerous enough to know, you know, to know enough to talk Should to people talk. about it and have the understanding for your own day-to-day uh, -day operations to improve that communication, right? Mm -hmm. Of knowing, hey, this is our spending season. Things yeah. are going to be tight. This is what we need to do to facilitate that. It makes it easier for the whole team. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's awesome, and you know I love how you talked about the collaboration involved in there. As far as that collaboration goes, do you have any other, you know, 
I guess if you could explain to listeners a little better, what other markets are you looking at? Do you have uh, local markets, international, um, so, large producers? So right now, um, one thing that we do pride ourselves on is all those small farms here in the area. We try and support the local economy as much as possible. They don't have a facility like ours. Mm-hmm. They do everything by hand or they have small little pulpers that they're doing in their backyard. Uh, so we, what we actually do is we'll purchase their fruit off of their farm and that will help them. But for us, we'll process it, break it down, roast it, but we'll call it what we call our Kainalio coffee. It has nothing to do with the trellis. So it becomes more like a co-op coffee to where it's a mixture of different Kona coffees that come together as one. And a lot of the reason for that is because I don't know what they're doing in their fields. Right. The cherry can look good, but I don't know what they threw as their fertilizer or what their farm practices are. So because we can't define the flavor of every single farm that's in that bag, we call it Kainalio, which is one tear down from our trellis. Okay. It's 100% Kona. Right. But it's just, you know, um, not ours directly. And then we also have our gourmet blend, our international blend, where we're using international coffees. Um, a lot of them from Brazil, Colombia. Uh, the reason is, it's all because of production. When your demand is higher than your production, <laughs> right. you have to do something. Um, and that's why international coffees or international blends, 10% blend, blends were actually introduced into the island. It wasn't to create a better quality cup of coffee. It allowed us to stretch our product for a longer period of time by using them. Uh, but the key things of that is when we're looking for international green beans, we're looking for cupping scores, okay. sizes, cupping scores. The higher the cupping score, that's what we want. Yep. That means it's a better quality as well as we're looking to stay within that Arabica typical variety of coffee. We don't want to switch varieties um, because it's going to change the profile. So that's a lot of the international stuff Mm -hmm. that we do here. Uh, And we created another blend, a higher end blend. Uh, I think that one is with Brazil. Yeah, Brazil, Um, which is called our gourmet. And what that is, is we add more Kona than international. But by adding that slight bit of international in there, we can bring the price down. We're talking about prices and expense and how expensive it is. Well, the blends gives people a chance and an opportunity to purchase at a cheaper rate. So where our highest end coffee right now, an 8-ounce, our trellis reserve is $60 for an Mm 8-ounce. So you turn around and you might go down to a gourmet blend which you can do a medium, is $25. Yep. But we add enough Kona in there for you to taste the flavor of the Kona. But by adding that little percentage of Brazil, I just brought down my cost big time. Right. Um, a lot of it, they grow in hectares of coffee. They can sell off their green bean very cheaply. Yep. Versus here in Kona, good luck. If right. you're buying green from anywhere, in Kona, if you're looking for good stuff, what I mean by good stuff is 18, 19, fancy, extra fancy. You're looking at anywhere between 25 and 29 dollars a pound. Wow. Versus, I can bring it in from Brazil for a dollar fifty cents a pound. Wow. 
So that's how we're able to make that adjustment. Yeah. It's not to make better coffee. It's just so that way it's we still can having stretch a good it. coffee. It's yeah. just like currency exchange. Yeah. Right. right. Well, and it's new markets, and you're yeah. still providing a, a quality product, like you said, for people to get the taste of Kona and to mm -hmm. understand, you know, what goes into it. And a lot of people, they're here, they're on vacation. They're taking back gifts to their family, their friends. And I always tell them, like, you want them to taste the Kona, but you don't want to spend the big money. Right. Then you can actually go for the Canelio, which is one tier down from us. Right. Or you can go to the Gourmet, which is a little bit cheaper. Yep. Um, and then you save whatever money, and then you get the good stuff for you. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's that's usually how it works. Right. Like I'm like, oh, who are you buying for? And you're like, oh, I'm buying for my dog sitter. Oh, are they a big coffee drinker? That's the first thing you want to know. Because mm -hmm. if they're a coffee connoisseur, no blend will ever do. Mm -hmm. They'll know exactly what they're looking for. Right. But if I'm buying for my dog walker that drinks coffee once a week and it's one cup and then I'm going to be like, oh, go get them the gourmet blend. Because right. they can taste the Kona, but you're not spending 60 bucks. Yeah. You know? And I'm just like, this is the one you yeah. want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that's what it is. It's just being true and honest with your consumers. Yeah. Like, when people ask And, about like, it. when you're talking about cardistry, was, like, oh, yeah. him getting, like, understanding what people was asking for. Like, understanding, like, what the customers, like, wanted. Yeah. Like, oh, but, like, $60 for a bag of coffee okay like that's pretty steep right right for eight ounce but if you think like he broke yeah, it down like everything down and the way that he was explaining to people people were getting because it's only a teaspoon that you're supposed to be using right. for every six ounce cup of coffee so eight ounce bag should give you 45 42 45 like cups of coffee right and a dollar fifty dollar fifty for a cup of coffee which is fair. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like, how fair. Much is, I mean, this is the biggest question I always ask everybody. When you go to a and cafe... And you're getting like a 90, 95 like, points I'll mention any coffee. names. When you go to a certain <laughs> place and you order your coffee and you're adding all your cream and sugar and everything else and at the end of your bill, your one cup of coffee just costs you 12 bucks. Right. Go home, make it yourself, high quality, $1.50. Right. right. And, and so when they start seeing that, they're like, and the biggest problem is... Oh, I don't have time in the morning to do it. And I'm like, you know what? Then what you do is you do that on your day off. Right. You do it on your, like for me, it's my Friday. Friday, I know I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to, you know, do my French press or my pour over or whatever it might be. And I'm going to sit there for two hours and drink my cup of coffee. Or you do an evening dinner espresso yeah. when you have yeah. guests over yeah. and family. Yeah. and. So, you know, when you explain it to them that way, they're like, oh yeah, well then that bag can actually last me, you know, mm. how many weeks? And next thing you know, they're calling you on top of the phone. Asking for <laughs> two pounds of coffee. Right. Can you send me two more pounds? I'm like, oh, okay. I, I, I swear you were just in here a week ago. We just love the flavor, you know, and that's the whole thing. And that that's my big thing is you cannot sell a product you do not believe in. Right. Um, you have to stand behind your product 100%. And by saying that is we drink the coffee. I can tell Rod when something's off. Yeah. Um, like, and vice I drink versa. like 10, 15 cups of coffee a day. Yeah. Wow. I a do day. about Our <laughs> coffee. Yeah. You know? And like you see this hand, like the first rounds that I was explaining to you, we didn't have any pickers. Like I literally, like me and my wife, we went picking. Like we picked the coffee and this time I roasted the coffee too. Yeah. So I picked the coffee, processed the coffee, milded the coffee, or milled the coffee and roasted the coffee. 
by the end of the day that coffee was the one that like I picked during the morning two days later I was roasting it so wow. yeah. you know but, that's phenomenal yeah. really is and I, I gave him credit because I was a hand harvester for many years and I still I still I was just picking on Friday in fact um, in the coup side but I tell him I said I give you credit because it's not an easy job like at first it's like ah, I'm like yeah wait till your lower back starts getting out on you and, and your like, fingers start cramping and still after like eight hours like regular shift then you have to go picking and processing the coffee so it's more like now it's what like 15 hour shift yeah a day that's a big day yeah it's our so, thing. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, but to me, I think picking coffee um, is more of a mind thing. Um, like for me, I always tell them when I'm in the field picking, that's my serenity because no one's around me. I'm not thinking of what is going to happen next. I'm just in that moment, at that moment. Um, but other people take it the complete opposite to where it's like, oh, it's just too much. Um, I've had people come in, several of them. I just want to experience what coffee picking is like. Okay, sure. Put on a bucket on them, send them into the field. 45 minutes later, they're like, I'm over it. It's too hot. <laughs> My back is sore. I can't reach the top branches. The fire me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think everybody reacts to it a little bit differently. Right. Um, but the people that are good, you'll notice that they're the ones that are hyper-focused. Mm -hmm. They just, no, no one's around you. You're just there with the tree and the branch and the red cherries. Yep. And that's it. That's why I love it, because up here and down there, like Rod, our brains are constantly going. Yeah. So we can slow it down yeah. just for that one moment, right. even though it's hard labor work, at least it's <clears throat> peace. <laughs> well, and a lot of the farmers that we work with, you know, when you talk about the financing, the cash flow, the line of credit, you know, the 98% of things that make a daily operation, their favorite part is to sit in the combine or sit in the tractor, the harvester, and, wow. and because it, it slows your mind down. That's all you're focused on. Well, as well as being a manager on both sides, I think this is what Rod was going to say is anytime you see a ripe cherry on the tree and you're looking at it, it's like red and plump and it's just like money in the bucket. Yep. Yes. My, even though it's tedious, it's like, like every cherry count. I, yeah. you like, know? I, I literally do like the cha ching, cha ching, cha ching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like that's like sitting on a combine. Like, yeah. So like for me, like even though it's tiring because it's the end of the day, but just processing the cherries yeah. there, yeah, watching it, it's exhausting. But you, your mind, that's the favorite part ever. Or dry meaning or roasting. Right. Like when you're roasting, it's just like you, coffee beans, senses, like everything. It's just like. So when you're at the end of your 15-hour shift and you're putting 2,500 pounds into the dryer and you think, okay, well, this is only going to be 180 pounds by the time it's done, but then you think about that and you're like, okay, 150 or 180 pounds of, of product, product, you know, of quality product. Well, this is the whole thing when you break it down. So you, hope for, you hope for extra fancy and fancies, right? So your jet runs about 10%. So if you're ending up with 180, take 10% of that, and then you turn around and times that by the $120 a pound, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, it is actually money in the bank. Right. So you gotta like break it down in your head, and that's what I do a lot of to keep myself going. Yeah. Because I'm just like, okay, you know, especially like in between season. Right. Last season was like a bad season for us, and we we're like, 
how do we get from one stage to the next stage? And as soon as those flowers went off, I was like, yes. Like when we saw the flowers and the flowers just came like I was like, like taking ooh, pictures like yes. at once like it was beautiful and like one day I was like sleeping there like 6am I was like on my way up with the gator and I saw these white flowers and I said Nikki <laughs> <laughs> really like just like once but, but we go through that phases of like especially when you have a hard season and you lose a lot of your crop and you're looking like okay how am I going to actually be self-sustainable how am I going to be able to make it to the next season then when you see the flowers come it's just like oh there there's hope yeah. yes and then when yeah. the flowers fall like you're looking at that when it falls in five days when yes. you use the seven <laughs> and you freak out yeah so you know you're looking at that five day mark and you're like oh they're falling okay like they're not falling down early you're like okay we're gonna have production mm-hmm. and then after that it's like watching it grow throughout that six months and being like oh like for me personally i've been in coffee so long and i do this to rot all the time i'll grab a uh a branch and be like pea berry extra fancy because i i kind of <laughs> know can, the yeah, cherry right. size right so i'm like oh we're gonna have a good harvest this year you know we're gonna have like big bigger beans and seeing the changes that we did and everything it it impacts like our mentality and we're like okay we can't wait for the season yes. to start yeah. and then in a blink of an eye we're like we need pickers like, <laughs> we need <whoa>. people <laughs> it, this is what like when you say like after like a 15 hour shift Day, like ends like when you look at the product and you see this product then the first thing of course there's beer time always mm-hmm. but like before the beer it's a cup of coffee and the cup of coffee that you produce right like yeah. the previous yeah week and this is like being honest and you do what you have to do but it's to enjoy what you're doing and the yes. end product and yeah. you said it earlier you have to believe in the product and you have to enjoy what you're doing in all agriculture right across the bat this is my whole thing agriculture coffee any industry that you're in in agriculture it's all about the love of what you do yes um like for me it's it's like a passion for coffee it's like a passion to know the knowledge and see it through to the end and i think that's what all agriculture is like if not we'll give up like oh yeah it flowered okay i don't know what to do but by seeing it flower and knowing what's going to happen next and being excited about me about what happens next and then actually getting down to that roasted product to where we can taste it and cup it and see what we produce i think all agriculture is like that just like soy or whatever it is that they do like that end product that you present yes is is like the crucial point of I made it this far. I can do it again. It's what gets season. you going the next season. Yes, exactly. Yes. And like rest, rest, you can rest one day. Yes. One day you're going to rest. And like if you enjoy it, you can bring like your family into it. Yep. And this is agriculture that we were talking before. Yep. Agriculture is like a unique thing. You're not like you're sitting in the office all yep. the time. And agriculture, like you like use your family, like they go with you or process the coffee. They see you working and you turn into a fun right stuff even though like he's it's tough but you get to go the kids hop in to check the fields and you do supper in the combine and (laughs) he thinks i'm super crazy because i manage here five days a week nine hours a day sometimes 10 depending on the day but after that i go home i do this all over again yep my days off I'm doing this, like, and that's what I mean. Yesterday, it's like, I, I finished processing the coffee at 10 p.m. I texted her like about something else, 
and she was like oh my god like i just finished roasting <laughs> you know cuz i i live an hour and 10 minutes away you know from this particular place so you know when i go home i always tell people for me personally it's always the excitement of what i'm going to produce what am i going to do like it's stressful because you know when you have orders coming in and it's like oh you know how do you fit this all in the time right and like for me being in agriculture so long you create the time yes you make um, time for what you, you want. make time yeah and everybody goes oh what about your family what about family time you know i do have kids yes guess what they're all going to be ready to be agriculture in agriculture they're all going to know how to run a coffee farm um and a lot of people don't see like oh but you you work them and they work the fields and they say you know why because work ethic yes it's all about work ethic I know I can send them into any industry now and I can walk away and know that they're going to do an awesome job because I taught them at a young age right what that is and they're not scared to get dirty and um so he's just like really Nikki what are they going to do I'm like oh no I got to pack coffee and I got to roast coffee and I got to go up to the field and I got to fertilize so sometimes he calls me and uh, one of my fields doesn't have service so anytime I like, don't answer my phone. What are you doing like that? Well, not tiny. Your field. Oh, my mulching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, bulldozing. Bulldozing. Yeah, because yeah, I just opened up more land, um, so I was bulldozing, and when I went on the big machines, obviously I can't hear my phone, and there's no service up there. Right. So I have to text him. <laughs> I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> and he'll be texting me back what's going on here. So, you know, they are like, how do you do it? I said, it's the love of it. Yeah. It's the passion of well, it. Well, and I, I, I truly love to see that passion. I mean, it's phenomenal with all the people that we've interviewed and done podcasts with and that we work with with consulting. You, you see the passion throughout the industry. It, it's truly awesome. So to wrap things up here, um, you know, because you guys have been, you know, with me here for a long time, I really appreciate that. What, um, what's most exciting to you in the next, you know, three years in the industry with Kona Joe's here, here at this facility, you know, what, what's the most exciting thing that you see ahead? I'll let you go first. Okay. No, for me, because I've been here like for two years and it is kind of new thing for me too, because I just got my family here, but seeing the progress, progress that we did, like from one year to another, right? And next year, like we're planning like to get the production like steady, and you know we see that we can do better, right? And by meaning like do better, it's just like we know that that 18 acres can produce more and better, right? And is not depending on us, not saying that it's us, but it's like the product is there. It's just a matter of like getting it to the way it's supposed to be and we see it coming yeah you, you have know? the vision yes like we see there you know and like we were saying before if you love what you do you expect good things to happen too right production wise uh i, I think for kona too like we have like so many people coming more like this year compared to last year because everything that has been happening like with the volcano but people at and again, this is new for me too, for being here in the island. But if people understand that it's like, volcano is all the way there. Like, it doesn't affect this side of the island. If something happens to this side of the island, it's going to happen here, not there. Right. So keep like the business or the economy 
right. of the, the island. Right. You know? That's awesome. I think in three years, what do I... Me, personally, what I'm most excited about is for Kona Joe's is the quality of the coffee increasing like he said seeing what we've done last season yeah because we're going to see that prune trees we're going to see those trees take off we're going to see them start producing and really see what we're able to do um but the other thing that i'm really excited about is right now we have a really big hawaiian market and now we got to a point where our quality is so good that we're able to extend that to japan extend that internationally where people in Japan can go to a cafe and drink trellis reserve so those are the things That's that awesome. I am super excited about um, just coming from my aspect of marketing and the end result type of deal uh, and not only that I think that in three years uh, because we are a young team I can't wait to see what we're capable of doing in three years yes. with the education with the collaboration with the teamwork because right. uh, I think in three years it's going to be unstoppable. Right. Because I am going to be good for everybody in every single position and good. So for those who haven't, who are listening and haven't tried Kona coffee, I, I encourage everybody to. I, I love coffee. I drink it every single day. I mean, you know what? What would your? <laughs> what would? We're sitting out here in the rain. Other people rain. are laughing oh, at us. So, so <laughs> That's the dedication of Kona Joe's employees yes. is they're sitting in the rain to talk with us. In actuality, I'm just going to mention something, and this is something I thought Rod and it's a Hawaiian thing, but um, rain in Hawaiian is ua. They say when ua falls when you're in the middle of something, a conversation or something happening, it's a blessing. So I don't look. I don't look at um, rain as being a bad thing. I look at it as it's blessing and it's feeding my trees. So rain away. Great. <laughs> this place so much that I got married here. In <laughs> the rain. Really? That's why it's so busy. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. It's always, a, you know, it's always about just how rain is a blessing. There, it wipes away the negative. Yeah. And it gives back the natural and brightness of life. So I think I share that. Yeah, thank you. Well, and, you know, I'll wrap up here. Um, Kona Joe's, fantastic coffee. Anybody that's listening, I really encourage you to uh, check it out. You know, if you've taken the time to listen to this podcast, they're truly passionate about what they do. They understand agriculture, and, you know, coffee makes the world go around. It makes farming possible in, in all areas of the that world. Four morning. Yeah, that 4 o'clock morning, or if you're running all through the night, um, you know, get, give Kona Joe's a try. It truly is phenomenal great people. Nikki, Rod, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you for listening to another episode and we'll catch you next time on the Eggview Pitch. Thanks for listening podcast. Please, 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 if you enjoy coffee at all, I really encourage you to check out Kona Joe's. Uh, I'm not just saying that because I did the tour with them. They have fantastic coffee. I drink coffee daily, uh, six, seven, eight cups a day, and really, truly enjoy their products. So check them out. If you have any other questions for us, please feel free to reach out. 
cbaron at eggviewsolutions.com. Hit us up on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, you can find us at all those places. Go ahead and follow Kona Joe's, and we look forward to hearing any feedback that you have. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Egg View Pit.